your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be um, continuing through this series that we've been, we started uh, earlier this month um, through the seven churches of Revelation. We've already gone through three sermons, but only two churches. And, uh, and I just want to remind you, we're not necessarily looking in each of these seven churches saying, we can find our story in each of these churches someplace. Now, there might be something in there that speaks to us and all that, but all seven of these churches are in lots of different places. So I'm not suggesting that we are, you know, uh, left our first love like the church of Ephesus. Uh, but I do want to remind us that when he said, I have this against you that you have left your first love, that first church, the church of Ephesus, he didn't say Remember where you have fallen from and repent and get back to loving Jesus. What he says is do the deeds that you were doing at first. So there's something that correlates with losing their first love. And we talked about how that was just the checklist of going through the motions. Yes, I've, I've done this. I've, 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 uh, um, you know, I've gone to church and I've given a tithe and I've uh, you know, read my Bible. And uh, you know, just checking the list and not heartfelt passion for God. And even in the way we sing or the way we uh, serve and, 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 and that we're doing it for, we want to do that for God, not just to check a list. Okay, I've done, my, I've done my bit for the month. And so that's the church of Ephesus. The church of Smyrna was in a whole different place, if you'll remember. The church of Smyrna was, man, they were like going through some incredibly difficult times. They were in the middle of persecution like none of these other churches were in the middle of. And most of it was from the, the community. There was consequences both relationally and socially as well as vocationally. They were said they were poor, but if you remember in there, he says, although you were poor, but yet you were very rich. But talking about their faith and how they just really loved God and, 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 and just encouraging them to remain faithful. And what we saw, at least in that sermon two weeks ago in the church of Smyrna, what we saw there, what, at least what I felt like was important there, was uh, it, when, when I go through those difficulties, will I be that faithful? Will I be that faithful to God when I'm going through whatever difficulty it might be? And, and we talked about how you know, we have health issues we might be going through, financial issues, relational problems, you know, all sorts of things that we might be going through. But am I going to be that faithful to God? And, 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 and what I said about me, and I believe it's biblical, is no, I can't. But Christ in me can. Christ in me can help me be that faithful. And again, it goes back to what we saw in the first church in Ephesus is just that relationship that, you know, we are passionate, we are pursuing we are intentional about our relationship, not passive about it. It is something that we don't leave Jesus at home when we go to work or we go out to play or go to classes. We don't leave Jesus at home. We're taking him with us. And so this week I want us to look at the church at Pergamum. And so let's read starting in verse 12, chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did, did, not, did, not, excuse me, and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, 
my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. And so you also have some who in the same way hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Father, I pray that as we look into your word this morning, your spirit would speak to us clearly, completely. With no reservations, Father, we need to hear from you. We need to know what you want us to walk away from here this morning, knowing what you want us to do with our life, and our faith, whether it's at home or in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, in the marketplace, at school, wherever it might be, Father, help us to see what you want us to take, that nugget of truth that can transform our lives. We pray, Father, that we would hear that and see that and apply that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pergamum is still on the route from Ephesus northward as you go through Smyrna and come to Pergamum. Pergamum was a fascinating city. It's a royal city. It was a beautiful city. It actually set, at the, set up in the hills there, and there was one big hill right there around uh, Pergamum. They were known all over the region for a lot of things. They had the second largest library in the Roman Empire, only, only behind uh, what uh, Alexander had. Uh, they had, I think, I think I read like 200,000 pieces in this, in this library. I mean, that's a, that's a big library for back in the day, right? They had a stadium, like an outdoor theater type stadium that would hold over, uh, up to 10,000 people. That's huge back then. Uh, they had a stadium where they had games and play and, 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 and all sorts of things. At hospitals, they were known for medicine, but not like Smyrna was. If you remember when we talked about Smyrna a couple of weeks ago, Smyrna was known all over the region for their science and medical uh, things that they were uh, discovering and, and pursuing there. Pergamum was a little bit different, and we'll get to that here in a little bit, but they, they were known for their medicine, but it's more alternative medicines. And they were a place that people would come, not just for all of these things we just talked about, but because of the temples that were there, that were up on this Acropolis, up on top of this hill, where Pergamum sat. You'll see here in verse 12, it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. And again, just like we've seen in the other ones, the, the, those initial words in each of those letters to, or each of those parts to the churches are a part of the description that we see back in chapter 1. Remember in chapter 1, especially if you look through verse 12 through verse 17, you can see each of those descriptions. And here in chapter uh, 2, verse 12, it says, The one who has the sharp 
two-edged sword. If you look over in chapter 1, verse 16, John is looking at Jesus. He said, and in his right hand he held the seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Again, just each one of these churches, they're hearing from Jesus, okay? They gave a description of Jesus in chapter 1, and as he, as he writes to each of these churches, he's just letting them know, this is Jesus who's telling you this. And honestly, that's the way anyone who ever stands up here and delivers a word, it better be, what is Jesus wanting to say? Not what does David Hutton think you guys need to hear? Because believe me, I can stand up here and wax poetic all day long and steer us down paths we don't want to go. And it would be very easy. We can see it all across the world where there are pastors who are leading people in different places. Our role, our job is to communicate the words of Jesus that he wants us to hear. That's one of the reasons why every time I pray, when I bring a message, Holy Spirit, speak to us. In light of what I even might say, just speak to us clearly. I've even prayed before, if I say something that is not what you want them to hear, let it fall on deaf ears and let your spirit clearly communicate to the church what you want to. I am serious about that. I do not want to be. I, I do not want to one day stand before the Father when I'm held accountable for everything that I've taught and preached and everything like that. I do not want to be held accountable for just nincompoop nonsense like that. All right, I want to be honoring to the Father from his word, and, 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 and I want to communicate what Jesus wants us to hear, and I want the Holy Spirit to make it clear to us what is it that we're supposed to hear. And right here he starts off by saying, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. I mentioned earlier about a hill, that the, this Acropolis that was right there at, uh, at Pergamum. And they had up on top of this place, they had a lot of places that they could go visit. The library and the theater and things like that were up there. But there were temples to Zeus up there. there it, was, it was the Pergamum altar was there. As a matter of fact, that thing, if you go there today, you will see the foundations of it. But the altar itself is in Berlin. Uh, there, there is a temple to Athena. There's a temple to Dionysus. Uh, there is a, a temple to uh, the, the emperor worship. We talked about in Smyrna how they earned the right to build a temple to Tiberius. Well, here they had a temple to Trajan, which is one of the emperors. And again, in the same way, they were to burn incense and, and to call, basically say Caesar is Lord and, 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 and all that. But, but one of the things they also had was a temple to Asclepius, Asclepius which was a a, a, Greek myth, a Greek god uh, from mythology, and he was basically medicine. And I, and I talked about earlier how they, they were known for their alternative medicines. Well, one of the biggest things they were known for was basically healing by snakes. Uh, this guy, he, if, if, you, if you ever look back on the pictures of this guy, he basically carries a staff with a snake wrapped around it. And what they used to do was in these hospitals, they would put you in these places. They would give you a little something to help you rest and relax because, believe me, nobody wants to be in a room full of snakes. And they'd give you this stuff to kind of put you to sleep or just to help you to rest. And they would release these non-venomous snakes, let them slither all around over you and everything. And I don't know about you, I don't mind snakes, but I don't want snakes crawling on me. 
I, I, you know, I, I, I've handled snakes, I've hunted snakes, I've killed snakes, and believe me, if I had it in me, if I'm in a room full of snakes, I'm either going to get out or there are going to be some dead snakes in this room. But here they did this. This was part of their, they, they really believed that this was something that healed people. And so people would come from all around and they would go to the, the temple of Athena and they would look for, just look for wisdom or they would go to a, uh, one of the temples for pleasure or one of the temples for healing or one of the temples for power or one of the temples for success. They had all of these temples, but the main one was this te- emperor's temple that they had to bow down and worship this. Just like in Smyrna, they had to offer their, basically say, Caesar is Lord. And the church... Many in the church said no. And here he's, he's, he's looking, John here is writing that I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And up on this hill, you can imagine it probably looks like a big throne up there looking down on the people of Pergamum. And there's this throne up there and all of these temples, all these pagan temples that are up on this hill that people would come from miles and miles around to come to these places. And people from Pergamum would go up there and offer and uh, uh, you know, sacrifices and different things. And, 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 you know, Satan doesn't really want a lot of credit He doesn't want his name out there so much. I don't believe. I believe when it comes to the world, he likes it. If if there's Satan worshipers and stuff like that, he likes that. But with the church, he doesn't want his name out there a lot. Because we we have this aversion to the word Satan or devil or anything like that. And if we hear anything about it, we kind of are hesitant to have anything to even read about it or do about it or anything like that. And so Satan doesn't want the church to know that he's busy doing stuff. But he doesn't mind Letting other people take credit like these gods in these other temples that people would come and worship and offer sacrifices. These places are not separate gods and deities. They're all, all the throne of Satan. And so here he's saying that, you know, all of these people are coming and you're, I know where you dwell at the throne of Satan. You've got all this stuff going on. But yet, he says, you have hold fast my name and did not deny my faith. That is what you want to hear, church. That is what you want to hear when there's difficulties going on, that you did not deny me. You held fast my name. Christ was in you. The Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit is what is compelling us to be obedient. We cannot be obedient in a way that honors God in and of ourselves. We have to be spirit-led, spirit-filled, spirit-overflowing to be any use to God whatsoever. We cannot have a list of things on our refrigerator and say, okay, quiet time, check. Read my Bible, check. Prayed, check. Gave to the church, check. Went to church, check. We can't be doing that. Those things will not. Those things will not save us. We do those things not out of checking them off so that we can make sure we... We do those things because we're compelled to. We do those things because we want to. We do those things knowing that it is only in Christ that we're able to do those things in a way that honors God. Read your Bible without Christ or the Holy Spirit of being a part of that. Pray and try to see if anything gets done just because you think, well, I'm going to pray and get this done and, 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 and I don't know if I believe in this or whatever. No, it, whatever, Christ in us, that's what matters. Christ, not just, not just a part of us, but completely owning us and us completely submitting to him they were not denying his name 
They were holding fast their faith. And it says, even in the days of Antipas, it says, my witness and my faithful one. This person, we don't know anything about this guy. I mean, there's some, some historical records back then that say that this was a, possibly one of the pastors in, in, in one of the groups there in, in that area. And he was uh, the, the, the one thing that they keep, I keep reading and some of the things I've read is that he was boiled to death in hot oil. He was burned to death in hot oil. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. All I know is here it says, even in the, you've, been, you've been faithful, you've not denied me, you've, you, you, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. My witness. This is the same word when it says he was my witness. This is the same word that Jesus uses with the disciples back in Acts chapter 1 when he says, and you shall be my witnesses. You remember that? You remember that word? Witness. It's the Greek word martus. It's the word we get martyr from. And remember, when I've, when I've said this before, I always have to clarify this. No, this does not mean you've got to go out and kill yourself to show your faith in Christ. What that word means is that you're actually living for Christ. And if anyone comes after you and takes your life because of the name of Christ, yes, you were his witness. You were a martyr. Not when you've killed or died yourself, caused it in and of yourself. It is a lot more difficult to live for Christ than to die for Christ. It is easy to die for Christ. Split second, you can make a decision, die for Christ and all that. To live for Christ is every second of every minute of every hour of every week of every month of every year, however long we're living, that is to live for Christ. That is what it means to be a witness. Not just to stand up there and tell people about Jesus, but to embody it, to actually live it out, to let it be something that is so important to you, yes, you are willing to die for it. And I'll just go ahead and tell you again, just like I did two weeks ago with Smyrna, there is no one, I don't think there is anyone in this room, I'd be willing to bet there is no one in this room in and of yourself, you would be willing to die for something like that. But Christ in us will help us live in a way and know that the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us, as Paul said in Romans. The suffering of this world, whatever is going on in this world, it can't even compare to what we have with Christ in heaven. But only Christ in us can reveal that. Only Christ in us can help us see that. And only Christ in us can live a life that others will be able to see Christ in us. But in verse 14 he says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold to the teaching of Balaam and keep teaching Balak, and, keep, and kept, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit acts of immorality. I'm not going to go through the whole... I'm not, if you want to read this story, go to Numbers 22 through 25, chapters 22 through 25. You'll read the whole story here. Basically, Balak, he's a king in Moab. Israel, they're traveling. They're, they're on their way to the promised land. And they are defeating everybody that comes up against them. And they're approaching Moab. And Balak's getting a little nervous, and he's wanting to figure out, how do we defeat this mass number of people here? How can we do this? So he reached out to Balaam, who was a prophet at the time, and he said, I want you, I'm going to pay you crazy amounts of money to speak curses against them. Well, God wouldn't let him do it. 
God did not let Balaam do it. He tried three times and Balaam, it just did not work out. But Balaam, what he did do was he told the king Balak, he said, if you want to get them, here's the way you do it. God will take care of them for you if you get them to kind of compromise. If you get them to compromise in some way. And the way you can do that is if you send all your Moabite daughters, if you send all these women, the prostitutes, the priests, the daughters, everybody, all these women from Moab, if you send them into the camps there and you get them to start mingling around with those guys, then the sons of Israel will fall. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. All the Moabite women went, a lot of the Moabite women went, went into the camps. The sons of Israel started mingling around with these women. They started doing acts of immorality. They started participating in some of the feasts that they, the Moabite, the Baals, the God of Baal, they started participating in all of these things. And God became so angry, if you read towards the end, Numbers 25, chapter, uh, chapter 25, verse 9, I believe it is, he says that, and the plague that he sent there killed 24,000 of the sons of Israel. Basically what he's saying here is there are some among you in, in the church in Pergamum who are doing just like this guy. You are going out into the culture there around you and you are participating in that culture to an extent. You say, you've got one foot here in, in this part, but you've got one foot out here and you're still participating in whatever, going up to the temples and burning the incense or giving sacrifices or even saying Caesar is Lord or whatever. You're compromising yourself and you're participating in all of these things and you're... I've got that against you. We have to be careful. We as a church, not only, you know, at Redeemer, but us personally, we have to be careful when it comes to the things that we participate in the world and bringing that into our lives and, and accepting that. We have people all the time, you know, that, that, that'll say, you know, drugs aren't bad here. Try some drugs or, or extramarital affairs aren't. Listen, if you feel like it, go for it. And, and all of these various things, I say, you know, surely, uh, as a matter of fact, we, we saw these verses up here. And this is what I love about uh, many times when I preach. I don't talk to the worship team a whole lot about exactly what I'm doing. I don't give them breakdown of verses or anything like that. Uh, but you saw, he, he's already shown you Romans 5 at the end of that and then the early part of Romans 6. And, and that, purse where, that, that part there where it says, in grace, Should we just go on and sin more so that grace can get bigger? So that the grace can be, if grace is big, bigger than sin, then that means the more I sin, man, the bigger grace is going to be. And it says, absolutely not. Don't do that. And if you look in uh, chapter 6, he didn't go that far, but in chapter 6, verse 15, chapter 6, verse 15, it says, so if grace is bigger than sin and grace is bigger than the law, then that means, you know, we can just keep disobeying the law and grace will be bigger than that. And absolutely not, it says the same thing in verse 15. Should we just keep on breaking the law? Absolutely not. You see, seriously, now I want you to think about this. Christ cannot do that, right? Christ cannot. He will not break the law. He will not, he will not compromise himself in any way. So how in the world is Christ in us going to do that? How in the world is Christ in us? If we allow him to sit on the throne of our heart, to, to, to control us, to, to submit totally to him, if, we, if that's what we do, how in the world can we participate in those things? And it's because, man, we're still hanging on to the flesh. We all are. You know, I'm not going to sit here and come down on anybody because, man, I'm the first in line when it comes to says, who in here has messed up this past week with a thought or a word or an action or whatever? Who in here has messed up? I'm the first one in line, friends. I'm, I'm, I, 
you know, I don't need to tell you anything, but I am a sinner saved by grace. And if we're all honest, that's, exact, that's exactly where each one of us are. We are sinners or we are sinners saved by grace, one or the other, because the whole world, every person on the planet is a sinner. He goes on here talking about, he, 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 he looks at, so, so you also have some who are the same way hold on to the, ten, the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Now the Nicolaitans, they were actually coming from within the church. They were taking this idea of grace and all that and bringing that into the church from within the church, not from outside the church. The first part of that, Balaam and Balak and all that stuff, that's what, that's what culture does to the church. That's what people bring into the church from culture around it. But the Nicolaitans, what they did, they were inside the church. They were bringing up stuff, that taking the scriptures, and they were just really messing, not interpreting the scriptures right. As a matter of fact, uh, one church historian, right, around, right after John wrote this, um, 30, 40 years later, he wrote something about, he, he, he thought that the Nicolaitans were actually from the Nicholas, who was one of the deacons in Acts chapter 6, who ended up traveling around and getting to Ephesus and started this whole idea of, well, if, if grace is bigger than sin, then why are we trying so hard, man? And the more we sin, the bigger the grace is. The more we set aside the law, the bigger the grace is. So why even bother? And so they were like practicing all sorts of stuff in there. And it doesn't even matter if it was Nicholas or not. The Nicolaitans were some people who were within the church teaching this stuff. They were teaching it from within. And so we have to be very careful. That's why, you know, you, fr friends, you've got you, you, to be thankful. But more importantly, you've got to be praying for your elders in this church. You cannot stop praying for the elders of this church. And I might be one of them, but listen, Caleb and Kyle have been here serving in that capacity for much longer than Keith and I ever thought about. They've been here fighting for you and praying for you and serving you. And I hope that you have, I hope that you're not just praying for them, but man, I hope you're loving on them. I appreciate the words you say to me. I've been here a minute compared to them. I appreciate when you come up and share with me things, and I hope you're doing the same thing with them. But with Keith and all, all four of us, I, I can tell you this. We need you to pray for us because we are the ones that's going to be held accountable for anything, that whether it's going to come in from the outside or come in from the inside. We are the ones that are right there that are going to be held responsible for that. That doesn't mean you're not going to be held responsible for some of that mess if it comes through you. But we are the ones that are in place to protect the church, to shepherd the church, to guide the church. And we, listen, I'm, I'm, I know me, and I, I, I think I know these guys. We need your prayers. We need you daily to be praying for us. And, and I only bring that up to say, John is writing. It says, to the angel of the church in Pergamum. He's writing to the pastor there, the messenger there. He is writing to this person, and he is saying, don't let this stuff, you've got some of this stuff going on in your church. You've got to put a stop to this. You've got some of this stuff going on, and you've got to put an end to this. You've got to address this, and that's, that's what leaders are supposed to do. And so the church in Pergamum here, he's writing them. He's, he's pointing out these things, the things that are coming in from the outside, the things that are coming up from within. And then he says, therefore, repent or else. Again, 
He comes with this repent or else. Or else never really. You remember, I said this the last time. I said, remember when parents would say, hey, listen, you're going to go out there and do this or else. It never was a good thing after the or else. And it wasn't like, you're going to do this or I'm going to give you some ice cream. That never happens, right? Never happens. It's you're going to get the, do this or else there's some punishment coming or else there's some negative consequence. Something's coming up that it's not going to be real pleasant. So here he's saying, therefore repent or else I am coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. The sword of his mouth, we know that in Hebrews it says, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword. But look at what it says at the last part of this verse, in verse 12. It is a judge of the ideas and thoughts of the heart. It is a judge of the ideas and thoughts of our heart. This is what the Word of God does. It not, it, a lot of people want the Word of God to encourage them and to comfort them. And yes, it can do that. But man, the Word of God convicts us as well. The Word of God condemns us as well. And, it, and we have to be open to the idea that it might be there. There might be something there that as we're reading God's Word, whether it is a comfort or what, but the, but we have to embrace the conviction just as much. We have to embrace that. That's how we grow. That's how we know that the Holy Spirit is still speaking to us through the God's word in our spirit, in our spirit with the Holy Spirit. In Revelation 19, verse 15, when Jesus is coming back and everything is just about done, he says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it, he may strike down the nations. He's talking about those nations who refused, who just refused to surrender to him. Those nations who were against him. Those nations who were not going to be a part of God. And he said, so the word from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that it may strike down the nations. But look at what it says. It, 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 it says or else I will do this. But he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, or to him who is victorious, or to him who conquers, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. This manna we know is a reference back to Israel when they were in the desert, and every day they had the, they had the manna would appear to them and they would be able to take it and eat it and partake of it and all that but they couldn't like hold on to it and keep it for the next day it would go bad and spoil it would it'd be gone right every day they were dependent on Jesus every day they were dependent on, on the, this manna that would come down from the head they were they were dependent on this manna and I think what he's saying here is that he, that hidden manna the manna that the world can't see that manna that the world doesn't understand that manna is the person of Jesus to us, the daily blessings that we have, the Jesus, he called himself the bread of life. In John 6, 31, I am the bread of life. He who comes after me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. A few verses later in John chapter 6, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This this, Jesus is, I am what you need to survive. This manna is what you need to survive. This, this, this hidden manna, this presence of Christ in our lives, that is what we need 
to survive. Apart from that, friends, we will not, we cannot survive. This, 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 listen, this, this world is a messed up place. And we are told that many times that we can pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and we can do things and make the world better and we can do things to, to make our lives better and we can make decisions that make our family lives better and everything just, and, and, and as far as eternity goes, that is a lie of the evil one. We cannot do nothing in and of ourselves. It is only through Christ that we are to gain anything that is of eternal value. And, 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 I, and I hope, as much as we are living in this present time, and yes, we need to put food on the table and you know, have a place to live and clothes to wear and all these various things. Yes, those things are important. But the one thing that we cannot compromise, the one thing that we cannot totally set aside is that Jesus Christ is Lord. We cannot set that aside. We cannot compromise. I would hope that we would come to a place in recognizing that, that we, it is better if we give up all the things that we have for Christ and Christ alone. I would hope that we would come to a place in our lives, in our, in our walk with the Father, that we would recognize that our life is meaningless without Christ. And in this messed up world, that's not the way God had intended anything That's not the way God had intended it for us. He created a world that was perfect, where man was in a right relationship with God, and creation was in right relationship with God and man and and all that, but man decided they wanted to do things their way. We see that back in Genesis, early chapters. Man just decided they wanted to do things their way. And we call that sin. That thing that separates man from God, we call that sin. The Bible says that the whole, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God did not leave it there. He did not leave it there at all. He, listen, we deserved it. We deserve to be left there because history shows that we continue to turn our back on God over and over again. But he demonstrated his love towards us. This is what the scripture says. He demonstrated his love towards us. That Christ came and died for us. And when he came down off of that cross, and he was buried, and three days later he rose again, he conquered sin and death at that time. And the Bible tells us this in in, in the book of Romans. It says that all we have to do to earn eternal life, to be saved, all we have to do is to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. That's what it says. And you shall be saved. Sounds easy. Yeah, I can believe that in my head. Can you believe that in your heart? Can you apply? Because when you say Jesus is Lord, that means he's master. You are submitting yourself to him. It doesn't mean, oh, he's Lord like my boss is Lord at work and I'll do what I want to do at home. That's not what that means. It means he is Lord of our marriages. He is Lord of our relationships. He is Lord of our workplaces. He is Lord in our homes. He is Lord in our church. He is Lord in our neighborhoods. He is Lord when we're on vacation. He is Lord of all, of all things, of all times. That's the commitment. But he also says this, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. These white stones, there's a, there's a lot of different ideas out there. One was like for uh, 
when they were voting yes or no, they white stone meant yes and a black stone meant no. And when people were voting for different things, they would walk up and throw their white or black stone into a pot. And that's what, I don't think that's what that means. I believe what this, what this is, is in that day and time, marble stones, these little white stones, they would actually give those out to just people who are uh, athletes who won events or armies who came back and, and give them out to the soldiers who had just won a battle or something or uh, someone who had just achieved something great, whatever, whether it's in the arts or music or medicine or whatever it was, they would give out these white stones and, it, and your name would be inscribed on it. And it was a, basically that was your invitation to come to the party, to come to the celebration that they're about to have. And if you didn't have that white stone, you were not allowed to be in that celebration, in that party. You were, you were just not allowed to be there. I believe that's what it's talking about here. And it says that, there, was be, that the, there will be a new name written on that stone. And honestly, I, I'm not going to stay here and tell you exactly. If I, know, I, don't, I don't know that I know what that means. I've, I've heard people say that it's kind of like where Abram changed, had his name changed to Abraham or Saul had his name changed to Paul or whatever. Uh, it, it, you know, it might be something like that. I don't know. But it says that it, 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 it'll be a new name that no one will know. And I... The one thing that I thought of this week that I thought was so personal and so uh, something that all couples know about this is these, you know, we had these pet names for each other. Um, I'm not going to necessarily go into what Shannon and my pet names are, but, but we have these pet names that we use that not many people know. And as a matter of fact, some of you might have heard me drop a pet name on the Shannon one, uh, if I've been on the phone or something like that, and you're going, what was that? Well, that's my pet name. She, that's a, a name of endearment. That's something that she knows from me that that is something that, that, that's a good thing. It's not like, you know, when our parents used to call us, you know, when we're out in the backyard and I would hear my mom holler, David Ray Hutton? That's not a good thing. Most people are that way. Most cultures are that way. If you hear the full name, that's not necessarily a good thing. But here, this is going to be a good thing. And I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if the name is going to be a, I don't, a different name or if it's like a pet name that I'm going to know from, the, from God. Or, I don't know what it is. All I know is this, is that those who are overcomers, those who are conquerors, those who are victorious, we're going to be invited to a celebration. And we're going to be given a white stone. And I believe that celebration is as we overcome, as we're victorious, as we're conquering, as we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, that it is an invitation into our heavenly home that we have. No matter what may happen, whether it is the Antipas who died a terrible death. Last, uh, two weeks ago we saw where Polycarp died a terrible death. He was faithful to the end and all that. Or over the centuries, those who have just been faithful in their walk with God and they haven't had the tempta I mean, temptation or the, or the persecution, that's what I meant, the persecution and the difficult times that they might have had back then or they might have in different parts of the country or that we might experience sometime down the road. But right now, we're in a relatively, in all honesty, compared to most places in the world, we're in a fairly comfortable place in America, in our churches. And we might not experience all of that, but we still need to be overcomers. We still need to be victorious. We still need to be conquerors. And we can't do that outside of Christ. 
And so the church of Pergamum here, they had this huge hill where there was a, the, the throne of Satan looking down and, and everybody had to pay homage toward the, whatever temple they were doing up there. But they were faithful. There were some who were faithful, but there were some, there were some who did deny the name of Christ. There were some who did not hold fast to the name of Christ. And they were like Balaam and Balak, the story there. Or they were like the Nicolaitans. In that story there. Friends, the, 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 the word in this message this morning is compromise. We cannot compromise our faith. We cannot live so haphazardly that we accept everything and all things and try to add those into our life as Christians. We can't do that. It might start off as something really small and something, you know, but over time it grows and it, and it begins to take over our life. And before long, we realize, just like we talked about in the first church with Ephesus, that one degree of separation, just that one degree of separation, that right now it might not seem so long, but as we go each day, each month, each year, that one degree of separation continues to move us further and further away from where God wants us until one day we go, what happened? Be faithful. Be conquerors, be overcomers. Hold fast the name of Christ and allow him to live in us so that he can work through us and affect a lost world around us. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for your love towards us, how you have Lord, in this church in Pergamum, I can't imagine. I have seen some difficult things in places I've been around this world. But I can't imagine like the church of Smyrna or the church of Pergamum and what they were going through. And Lord, I pray for a redeemer. I pray for this church for each one of us in this church, that we would be found faithful, that we would Father, love you and serve you in a way that is worthy of your great love towards us. Help us to walk in that way, Father, so that we will be able to continue to experience the manna of Christ and receive the white stone, the invitation, and the glory as Christ is in us and helps us overcome this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.